A quick note before we get started. Did you know we have an email list? Go to hpleadershippodcast.com and enter your email into the form at the bottom left to sign up. Get our PDF on common obstacles and teamwork sent right to your inbox. Subscribers get first listens on new shows and exclusive content. Sign up today, hpleadershippodcast.com. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Welcome to episode 21 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast. I'm Randy Lane. Today, we're talking to Nicholas Kurtz, Master Sergeant in the U.S. Air Force. Nick's been a military broadcaster for 15 years. He talks about his first day on the job, September 11th. That was the day that I met all my coworkers for the first time, and it was just very chaotic. It's like, nice to meet you. Let's all have this giant life-changing experience together. Really? Holy cow. And how storytelling makes him a better leader. To tell a good story, you have to be able to kind of put yourself in somebody else's shoes to, to understand where they're coming from. And that translates beautifully into being able to lead people. He spends his time now training up-and-coming military broadcasters at the Defense Information School. And now our talk with Nicholas Kurtz. So kind of just run me through your professional career. I joined the Air Force in 2001. Uh, I was a radio DJ out of high school for a couple of years and kind of fell in love with broadcasting, but wasn't too sure about the job security of that career field. And uh, I discovered that the military offered broadcasting, particularly radio broadcasting, as a job. And I thought it sounded like a great opportunity. So I joined the Air Force in 2001. And I went through broadcasting tech school in Fort Meade, Maryland. And from there, I shipped out to Aviano Air Base, Italy. That was a fantastic assignment, as you can imagine, being mm-hmm. in you know, northern Italy as a, as a young single guy. It was an incredible opportunity for travel and things like that. And I learned you know, a ton just about broadcasting and, and the Air Force and how all that worked. Um, probably the most formative experience I had there was my very first day on the job. Uh, I flew out to Italy on September 10th, 2001. And so obviously the next day was 9-11 and they brought me into the radio studio to deliver emergency announcements for the base community and I was an airman basic I was like the lowest ranking person on the (laughs) entire base been in the active duty air force for basically one day you know after basic training and boot uh, boot camp and your tech school is when you start your job so this was like my very first real job experience in the military was 9-11 that's crazy. So definitely uh, trial by fire, <laughs> for sure. But I handled it well. I mean, I did have a lot of radio experience before that. So, I mean, that definitely helped prepare me. Um, but it was like that was the day that I met all my coworkers for the first time. And it was just very chaotic. But it was a great experience. You know, it was a tragic day. But, but I learned a lot and really saw the unit cohesion and things that you learn about in the military. You hear about, you know, how they're just professionals. You know, they like to party hard, but they also definitely can – can turn on the professionalism when they have to. And everybody was just, you know, by the book, incredible experience for me. I can't tell you enough about how formative that was for me in the, in the early going. So that was my first day on the job was 9-11. It's like, nice to meet you. Let's all have this giant life-changing experience together. Really? <laughs> Holy yeah, cow. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, I was in TV news for a while. And that was kind of where I got my start learning video production, which was something that I didn't even know was part of the job when I joined the military. I joined up just radio and found out about TV and video production when I was at tech school. Didn't know it was part of the job. And I was like, yeah, I can do this. And turns out I was, I became much better at the video stuff than I ever was at radio. And I 
had more of a passion for that. I had the same exact experience where when I joined, I was joining as a journalist in the Navy and I asked the detailer, so what, what does that mean? Or the recruiter, what does that mean? And he's like, you're going to be writing some press releases. Hope you can run a fax machine. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I guess. And then I, I get there and I go, oh, there's all this other stuff I can do. And similar to you, I fell in love with video. So keep going. I just wanted to share that. Oh, yeah. No, that's, yeah. I mean, that's, that's something I tell all my students too is like, you know, maybe because a lot of them get discouraged by radio because mm-hmm. it's, it's really difficult, but it's a completely different animal than, you know, TV and video production is. So I was like, well, don't, you know, sour on broadcasting or public affairs just because of how radio was for you because mm-hmm. TV can be really fun. And I try to share that with them. But, you know, some of my experiences, like I said, I mean, I joined to do radio. I've done two radio shows my whole career. <laughs> the rest of it's all been TV. Uh, one of the stories I got to cover while I was in Italy was uh, the Iraq war and the, um, the invasion of Iraq actually happened. The, the Northern invasion of Iraq happened from Aviano air base. They launched off of our flight line. So uh, I got to cover that story and wow. see, used my footage and that was a really kind of a big accomplishment for me personally and then yeah so i just spent four and a half really awesome amazing years cutting my teeth in the uh the tv news and public affairs video production world and i had some great mentors and some amazing people that really took me under their wing and took an interest in my development that you know to this day i can't thank them enough for helping to spark that that creativity in me and that desire to improve a lot of people I'm sure you're aware of in the in the military broadcasting profession kind of hit their stride at Dimpos and then never really get past that. And that's the reason we have a lot of mediocre product in the military. But if you can find a good mentor, somebody that really takes pride in their work and shares that pride with you and instills that pride in you, you know, it just takes you to another level. And so I'm really thankful that I had some people help me out with that early on. And, and I try to do the same for all the people that I encounter, you know, try to pay it forward. One of our primary questions we like to ask people is what's an example of good leadership you've had in your experience? So when you're coming up, can you give a good example of somebody who really stepped forward as a leader for you? My very, very first supervisor was a staff sergeant named uh, Chris Vadness. He was just really one of those guys that you're like, what are you doing in the military? You could be, you know, <laughs> If you just took your creativity and your ideas out there, but he, you know, he had a passion for that particular line of work of just like military broadcasting and public affairs. And, and it really showed in everything he did. I mean, he was a professional through and through, but also just a really fun, engaging guy. You know, it's one of those people that you love hanging out with and, and picking their brain and learning from. And, uh, and I was fortunate enough to be his troop. And, you know, so he just proceeded to kind of share his knowledge with me and push me to, keep getting better. Mm-hmm. I was a bit cocky when I first joined the military. <laughs> I had joined having already this prior experience in broadcasting. And so I kind of had a chip on my shoulder, thought I knew it all. He would set me straight. He's like, you know, you're not as good at this as you may think you are. <laughs> why? And that was great. I mean, I needed that kind of kick in the pants to get over myself and be open to being taught. That is a very important thing. You know, if you're not open to expanding your horizons and and learning from other people, if you can't get over yourself, then you're never going to get out of your own way and really improve at anything. And so that was a a lesson that I learned early on uh, that I still, you know, I try to stay humble and always try to learn from everybody. I mean, from the youngest, you know, there's 13 year olds putting stuff out on YouTube. It's better than stuff that I do, you know, and so I'm always trying to learn new techniques and things like that and not not be stagnant and not be happy with <laughs> with myself. That's that's true. A good way of Doing video when we were growing up is probably so much more difficult than it is now. And these people, yeah, these kids have iPhones that are like way more capable than 
most cameras, you know, I used in my early career in the Navy at least. And I'm like, man, what would my trajectory look like if I had access to these tools back then? Yeah. And you'd be surprised. I mean, the, the stuff that the, even the, just the Dinfos grads are putting out nowadays is light years past what we were able to do when we went through the school. Mm-hmm. Well, not, not just because of the technology, but because kids today are, this is a language that they speak already. You know, I mean, right. YouTube came out when they were like 10 years old or 13 <laughs> years old. I mean, this is something that they've grown up with. Right. So, you know, it only makes sense that they'd be much more adept at, you know, video production and using that as a, as a medium to express themselves. We kind of talked about your job a little bit as we've been talking, but we haven't actually said what you're doing now. So can you kind of describe your role now? Yeah, definitely. Um, so right now I'm a, uh, a video skills instructor. So it's all kind of come full circle. I now teach at the uh, technical school where I learned video production. And that's a fairly common thing to happen once you get kind of higher up in the, in the in the ranks as a broadcaster, right? I think so. I mean, yeah, you definitely have to be, you have to have at least, uh, I believe, three to five years experience, depending on the branch of service, um, before you can come back as an instructor at tech school. But I don't think it's as common as... It should be. I think a lot of people see it as, you know, if you're looking to climb the ladder, it's probably not the best <laughs> um, move to make, especially, you know, now that I'm a, a senior NCO, being a tech school instructor isn't really seen as like a this huge leadership position in terms of, you know, how the military views it. But I thought I was at the perfect place in my career field to really come back and, and give back to the students now. And selfishly, you know, I wanted to see what they had, because like we had talked about earlier, you know, video skills are like almost an innate, you know, communication medium for the younger generation. Now they've grown up with this. And I wanted to see, you know, their take on everything because, you know, they're the ones that are going to have to reach out to the, you know, 18 to 24 year old demographic. Um, and they're going to know how to do it much better than I would. And so hopefully I can take things that I learned from them to my next assignment and and be that much better for that experience. So this podcast is about leadership. How would you say you lead your students? So you, you have the benefit of being on the other side of it when you're coming up and now you're on this side of it. What lessons did you learn back then that you're applying now or, or what are you doing now with the, with the students? Or the best way to lead is by example. And there's a lot to be said for having the cred and, and showing people what you can do, especially in this career field. Um, so one thing I like to do is kind of let the students kind of form an opinion of me just based on, you know, the standard book teaching that we do here at Infos, the very basic stuff, not really with them having any prior knowledge. I mean, they could Google me and kind of look up some of the stuff I've done, but most of them, I don't think do that initially. And so when we get a little bit further into the course, I start to actually show them some of the products I've done and, you know, not to brag, but they're like, wow, that's, that's really amazing. That's not like the typical stuff that we were expecting. And then I think, you know, that gives me an in, you know, they're like, okay, okay, this guy maybe has something for me. And, and that kind of opens them up. And then the ones that I think I can really make a difference with are the ones that really have the knack or get the most out of this or try the hardest. They're the ones that like start to approach me more and more after that. Like, how did you do this? Or, you know, what do you think I should do with this story? And at that point, you know, using my experience and drawing on, you know, all the things that I've learned from other people and things that I've done on my own, I share that with them. And f- so for me, that is leadership. It's, it's helping to shape and mentor, you know, people to eventually take your place and, and do a better job than you did. How do you deal with the people that are either frustrated with not doing it as well as they thought they could or the people who just they know that this isn't for them and it's not really working? Well, I try to focus on the positive, you know, the things that they are doing right, because it's a it's a it's a very fast paced learning environment. And they start, you know, many of them start with nothing. You know, I mean, they know what 
you know, digital video is, but many of them have never even shot video on their phones before or anything like that. And so you're starting from this very basic knowledge to where we get them in just about 38 days is all we have to teach them. Um, and yeah, some of them don't pick it up as fast for, for whatever reason. So I just try to focus on, you know, you're doing this really well. Here's how you can improve in the areas that you're not doing so well. And so as long as I can keep them focused on the positives and show them that they are making progress, they don't shut it out completely. You know, they don't give up. And that's the main thing. Just as long as I can get them to, to keep pushing forward and be better than they were yesterday and encourage them to believe that that's possible, it usually is. And they, and they always end up surprising themselves with how far they come in such a short amount of time. Kind of like you said, you have them for such a brief period of time. And then a lot of these people are kind of sent out to a situation that's beyond what the, the skills they have right at this moment. For me particularly, I remember going straight to my first base. The second week on the job, I interview Donald Rumsfeld. Oh, wow. Like, who, who gets to do that in any other, like, civilian situation? I mean, you're getting coffee for, like, the first year. That's how that works. Yeah. And then the first month I was there, I was sent to Korea by myself and just told to come back mm. with stories. You know, like, that sort of thing. That's kind of par for the course, I think, for a Denfos grad. You, mm. you go, you're there for just a very short period of time. You have to gain all this knowledge in such a quick time. And then you're, you're really thrown to the wolves. But I think it's also very formative and helps you mature quickly. What would you say? Oh, yeah. And like I said earlier, I mean, I share the story often about how my first real day in broadcasting in the military was 9-11 mm-hmm. and that I handled it. You know, it was it was a little nerve wracking and a little intimidating, but it wasn't overwhelming. I had support and I had the knowledge and training that I needed to do to complete the mission. And I tell them that they do, too. You know, when you. You leave Infos, I don't, you know, pencil whip these great sheets. I make sure that you know what it is you need to know to not be a burden on the people that I send you to. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're going to be the FNG when you get there, and that's just, that's, that's what, that's unavoidable. But you're trained, you're ready to do this job, at least at a, you know, bare minimum level. So don't, don't fear, you know, the unknown, and you're, you're going to get thrown to the fire, but you're ready for it. And that's what I tell them. One great thing about doing it nowadays as an instructor is, you know, with social media, even if they go somewhere where they don't feel like they have a mentor or they really have anybody right away that they look up to as somebody that they can learn from, they can always reach back to us at the schoolhouse, you know, like, hey, can you take a look at this product I produced? Tell me what you think. So I continue to keep in touch with my students as much as I can, as much as they want me to. I mean, I'm always, I try to be there for them and, and offer that that service for them. Just like, hey, I'm always a uh, sounding board if you've got problems, if you've got issues, you know, I, I try to keep in touch and make sure that they're they're getting it and they, they're staying fired up to, to keep getting better. You've also been deployed a couple times, right? Yep. I did one stint in Iraq and another in Afghanistan. So how does the leadership game change when you're, you're – were you ever in a leadership position when you were overseas? Yeah, both times I was. So the first time I was deployed, I was the, uh, the non-commissioned officer in charge of, of news, the news department basically. So we were – responsible for a 10 minute daily newscast and i was responsible for organizing travel for my journalists in a war zone <laughs> uh, that was you know i mean as a 25 26 year old i mean it was that was kind of even putting in those terms it doesn't sound like wow that's what i did but i mean you just do your duty you don't really think about the gravity of it at the time but yes, yeah, so, I mean, I basically, I had people's lives in my hands. You know, I was making sure that they were going to be safe, that they weren't entering into situations that, you know, they weren't prepared for. And I did a lot of that stuff myself, too. I, I went out on convoys and you know, I was attached with uh, General Petraeus for like a month, going nice. to all different 
places that he was, you know, making sure that their Supreme Court was functioning and that their prison system was getting set up and all that kind of cool stuff. So I got to, you know, see the development of the country kind of firsthand or such as it was at the time. And yeah, yeah. So I guess, you know, in terms of my leadership there, you know, we were on deadlines and that was one of the best learning I've had in my military career was because it wasn't just, you know, Air Force there. It was a mixed, a totally joint operation there. I worked with a lot of sailors. Uh, we had a couple of Marines on the team, some soldiers, and uh, the skills I developed as a leader there were really just how to build a team and and work with people's personality differences and and get everybody on the same page towards a common goal, which was a lot harder than you would think it would be since we're in the military. People are just supposed to <laughs> shut up in color, but just supposed to do what you say. Yeah, right? exactly. that's how it works. Yeah, well, there was uh, there was just a lot of really tough personality conflict in the early going of it because uh, all the Air Force people went through this thing called combat skills training before we went out there. And uh, it was like a month-long course. So we really kind of gelled as a unit even before we got to Iraq. Mm-hmm. About two months into the deployment, uh, we had some sailors come aboard, which was, uh, they were augmentees. I forget what the, it's like a jet task. I don't remember what the acronym was, but they were there in lieu of like army soldiers. They were augmentees basically. Hmm. Um, but they had their own thing going on and they did not trust us at all. They didn't want to listen to us at all. They didn't see why I was the one in charge and it was just the way it was. And so just trying to kind of break down the walls and get us all on as one team, you know, it took about a month, month and a half before everybody really was on the same page and trusted each other and wasn't screaming at each other on a daily basis. But we were able to do that. I, you know, I'm proud that I had a part in that. I won't take full credit for it, but, but it was definitely a struggle and a challenge and we got through it and it was one of the best things that I experienced in my military career. And we're actually going to have a 10 year reunion this October. Nice. All the, all the people from AFN Iraq that were there at the time. So how did you break down those walls with the people that didn't want to listen to you? You know, I just, I, outside of work, I just approached them as a, as a guy, you know, not, not as their boss. Cause I was, a lot of us were the same rank had been in the same amount of time. And, and that's always kind of an, a weird dynamic where you know why is this guy in charge i just told him i was like you know this is the role i've been given right and it, it could have just as easily been you but i got here first so <laughs> this is the way it is i'm not you know i'm not the kind of guy that's going to boss people around but we've got a mission to do and it's going to go a lot easier if we trust each other and can just you know get along mm-hmm. and i think you know they understood that but they had been kind of screwed around with in the past and that was kind of a cloud that was hanging over their head but once we got that all out on the table, we were able to move past it. And slowly but surely, we were able to demonstrate that we were competent and capable of doing the mission. And they were able to do the same. And once that was all made clear, you know, then we gained that trust in each other and things just took off from there. And we, were, we, we did some really great things together. People probably don't also know that most AFN detachments are run by joint ventures. So there's people from all branches there and that in itself can also pose some problems. Oh, definitely. I mean, even though we're all doing the same job and we have kind of the same training and skill set, each branch of service has its own culture and very different ways of, of approaching things and just, you know, different types of people serve in different branches. I mean, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's weird. Like just, you can tell the sailors apart from the soldiers and they don't have to be in uniform. It's just, you kind of know like, Oh yeah, that guy's probably in the Navy mm-hmm. or that guy's definitely in the army. You know, it's just, yeah. So there's these cultural differences that you have to get used to, but I've never really had big problems with anybody that wasn't, you know, in the air force just 
because they weren't in the Air Force. It's usually some deeper thing <laughs> behind that. It's usually you get past those things fairly quickly. Let's talk about people don't I don't think people think about military members being creative. What's your take on that? Well, yeah, I mean, the average civilian sees the military as, you know, this person in uniform that, you know, they fight. That's, you know, ultimately what the military does. And so I still get approached by people, even people in my family, like, so what kind of plane do you fly? Because I'm in the Air Force (laughs) and I've never flown a plane in my life. They don't understand that the military is like this entire apparatus that is self-sustaining. And we have almost every job that you can think of in the civilian world, we have an analog to that in the military. I mean, we have people that cook food. We have people that are attorneys and we have our own military justice system. So, I mean, if you know that, then it shouldn't come as a surprise that we have our own internal communications and and public affairs. And yeah, it's, there's creative people in every job. I mean, you have to be because otherwise things would never advance and there'd be no innovation. So yeah, there's, there's vast amounts of creativity and not just, you know, public affairs and what I do in video production, although that is a very, you have to be creative for that. I mean, it's a very kind of subjective field. It's not maintenance where there's only one way to fix a jet. <laughs> there's a, there's a million different ways to tell somebody's story. So that does require creativity, but you know, lots of jobs in the military require that creativity. And, and there are super talented, innovative, creative people all throughout the military. The creativity and the ability to like be a storyteller, how do you think that helps you be a better leader? How does that inform your leadership? It, de- it develops empathy, I think. To, to tell a good story, you have to be able to kind of put yourself in somebody else's shoes to, to understand where they're coming from. And that translates beautifully into being able to lead people. You know, once you get, you have to get to know your people to be able to lead them. But part of getting to know them is is having that empathy and really being able to to get where they're where they're coming from, or to at least try to get where they're coming from, so that you can find ways to motivate them and to generate that internal motivation in them. So, yeah, I mean, storytelling is just the the ability to talk to somebody and get them to open up to you. And as a leader, if you've got got that skill, you know, the sky's the limit. You know, if you've got the trust of your people to be able to, to tell you their story, you, you can lead them anywhere. And then once you understand them through the empathy of storytelling, you can find out their passion and drive them in a direction that's going to be best for them, right? Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Another thing we like to do is see if there's any books that you're reading that kind of inform your leadership style or any podcast, anything you're into right now. It doesn't have to be leadership related, but you know, anything you're into. In terms of leadership, right now I'm actually studying an Air Force course on leadership. I just became a senior non-commissioned officer this year, which for those who don't know, like the military is broken down into tiers. So when you're like an entry level in the Air Force, you're in the airman tier, and then you get some rank and you become like a sergeant, that's the non-commissioned officer tier, the NCO tier. And then the top top three ranks are called the senior NCO tier. And that's what I've just entered into. And it's kind of like you're moving away from the tactical, you know, technician hands-on job stuff and more more into the managerial big picture leadership. And that's where I'm kind of in a transition phase right now, because I really am having a hard time letting go of (laughs) the operational stuff because I really enjoy it. But I'm at that point in my career where I've got to kind of transition and be the guy in charge of the people who are actually doing the work. That is hard. Yeah, it's tough. The Air Force, you can study it as much as you want, but I think the best way to learn is from somebody that you see that does a good job with what it is you want to learn how to do. 
Right. And uh, right now I don't have a mentor. Um, I'm, I'm trying to get one. I'm looking around, I'm, you know, but it's, it's kind of busy. So I'm in this Air Force course right now. Now that it's like a, it's about how to be a senior NCO basically, so I'm taking that and and learning some some pointers about just a lot of the things we talked about. You know, team building, how to handle different situations. Discipline is a big one for some reason because I guess they assume you're going to have a bunch of criminals working for you. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, in, in terms of the leadership side of it, that's kind of where I'm at right now, just in a transitioning phase, I guess you could say. So a lot of people are not going to get a peek at that, yeah. what the Air Force considers to be good leadership. What's some stuff in there? Like, can you think of something you read recently that's particularly interesting since this podcast is for people interested in leadership? It's all about trying to find a way to get people to lead themselves. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, it's, it's, it's called transformational leadership, where you take somebody who maybe doesn't necessarily have buy-in with the mission or what it is you're trying to get them to do, and using all the tricks of the trade, getting them to find it within themselves to be motivated to do that, to give them that buy-in, to make them drink the Kool-Aid, if you will. Mm-hmm. But not in a bad way. You're not brainwashing people. You're not you know beating them down to where they become drones, but making them self-sufficient people that buy into the mission and it's called transformational leadership. And I'm learning more about how that works, but I'm not the expert yet (laughs) talking about how that, that would work. I mean, just from my own experience, a lot of people are motivated by recognition Mm -hmm. and I've been fortunate enough to have won a lot of awards for for the work I do. Um, That's not for me like a big motivator, but it gives me the credibility to reach out to and affect the people who are, motivated by that, that sort of thing. And I say, well, if you want to win awards, you got to be really good at what you do. And mm-hmm. this is how I did it. And I can share that experience with them and and lead them in that direction. Yeah, they get awards and that's great for them personally. And I, I'm really proud when people that I've influenced get that personal satisfaction from it, but it helps with the mission if they're better at their job. And that's Mm -hmm. ultimately what it's about. In the civilian world, you could have other incentives you could give them, like days off or vacation (laughs) or pay. But in the military, you really, being advanced is the way you get more more, uh, money, but it's not something that's really something you can just give to them. So I I would think that recognition would be like the main way that you would do that. Yeah, I think so. And so there's different ways that you can do that within the military. We have like quarterly awards for performance. And then there's also awards based on their actual like work. So the quarterly awards are built kind of like around everything that they do, whether it's like volunteer work or whether they bettered themselves through education, whether they came came up with a, a new way of doing things, you know, then they can be recognized for that. And then other ways that they get awarded is um, through our media awards program with, you know, say if they shot a really great news story at the end of the year, those are judged mm-hmm. and they can be presented with uh, with trophies and prizes for that. And so that's another big one. And those just wrapped up as well. They just had the military videographer of the year competition, military photographer of the year, um, graphic artist of the year. I mean, we have all these amazing talented people and they get their work you know showcased for the world to see uh, again another great thing about social media nowadays is like especially on the photo and graphic design side of things you know websites and blogs will pick that stuff up and be like you know these are the 10 top 10 military photographs of the year as judged by the department of defense and and those photos go out all over the world you know like sites like business insider and yahoo and things like that will will share that and, you know, even beyond, even if they didn't win, you know, if they had an awesome photo that year that took like third place, but it gets onto this blog that's viewed by like 3 million people. I mean, that's a huge motivator. Yeah. 
for them, for, for everybody, I would think, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, my, my picture was on the cover of, you know, uh, the New York Times website, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's incredible. And so, so I try to make every effort to make sure that the people I lead reach a point in their development where that's a possibility for them. I remember from my military experience and, and the way that was motivating me was competition. I felt like when I had some good people that I worked with that were pushing me because I was like, well, I'm going to look like a slob now compared to so-and-so because their video was amazing. I mean, that was a big motivator for me. And then it kind of helped the general quality of all the products jump up because we were all kind of competing with each other, especially I feel like when I was in news at Yakota Air Base, there was that kind of competition between several of us. And it's a level of competition and pride in work that I have I haven't seen even in the civilian world a lot of times. So it's interesting. Yeah. And it's rare. I mean, even in the military, it's rare. It's like that iron sharpens iron mentality, you know, where you've got a core group of people that are constantly pushing each other. We had that in Iraq when Mm -hmm. I was, you know, that was what I told that story about earlier. He was like, you know, all these Navy guys came in and thought they were better. And so they should be in charge. And, uh, you know, we had to prove that, you know, it's not a competition, but we definitely want wanted to show them that we were just as capable, if not more so, on the Air Force side. And so, yeah, I definitely upped all of our game all the way around. It's great if you have that, but not everybody is passionate necessarily about their career or their job. You know, it's just a paycheck to them. And then maybe they're into other things. And, and that's okay. You know, I, I've, I've learned that not everybody has the knack or the gift or the drive to be a great military broadcaster. Mm-hmm. But if you're working for me, I at least want you to care enough that you're going to put your name on a product and you want people to enjoy it and learn from it and experience it and not not just, you know, think that it's crap and that should matter to you whether they think it's crap or not. And there there are some people that it doesn't. And those are, that's really hard sometimes to, to, to get people to get past that and really take pride in what they do. Yeah. If you're looking at some leadership techniques from the military, you would look at recognition and then self-motivation and then motivation by using other people to help motivate them into doing their job better. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, the the main thing in video production, at least, is, you know, it's a constant learning that has to take place because no matter what you're doing, there's always somebody out there that knows something you don't and is doing something better than you. Because, I mean, yeah, I'm a video producer, but I'm not Michael Bay or Steven Spielberg. I mean, those guys are doing things that I couldn't dream of. Now, yeah, they have a budget for it, but they also have creativity and experience that I don't. And so I can learn from that. And I can encourage the people that I lead to look for things. You know, if I'm not personally somebody you want to emulate, that's okay. Find somebody in this career field that you do want to emulate and then do it. Look at what they're doing and try to match it. You know, there's nothing wrong with imitating somebody that's successful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't have the market on it. You could be successful too. look at what they're doing and, and, and try to match that and then try to be better than that. I was listening to an interview with uh, Malcolm Gladwell recently, and he was saying that when he first started writing, his writing was super derivative of this one guy that he liked. And mm-hmm. so if you read his early stuff, it was like totally just this other guy. And then he slowly found other people that he enjoyed and he would add them to the way he was writing. And then at some point, which he can't decipher, his own style emerged. And I feel like that's totally true of video professionals. Like first you're taught kind of 
you know, sequencing and, and how to put a, a video package together. And then over time you kind of say, well, you know, but I like it better this way and the pacing is better f- for me this way. And, and this is just how I do things. Personally, I, I worked for an entertainment show for a couple of years just uh, yeah. just previously and yeah. they really wanted the pacing to be quick they wanted to capture the attention of the youtube generation <laughs> and i came from news and i wasn't quite used to that i'm like that seems kind of odd you mean i can have multiple shots up for like two seconds or less that just yeah. seems crazy to me and then slowly over time it just kind of becomes my style and now even my stuff currently it looks kind of like that it's very fast-paced very yeah. quickly edited. But, you know, then you look at something like a CBS Sunday morning, which I consider like one of the highest forms of our craft. And oh, it yeah. is not that way. I mean, most of it's not. There's some there's a difference because people are contributing to it. But mm-hmm. it's really interesting to work with people and see them find their voice. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you said it. There's that's exactly what it was for me. You know, I was taught at Infos and had this very kind of cookie cutter way of doing things because they teach you the bare minimum and the basics of how to tell a story and as you get out there and get that experience and take influence from you know people that you look up to you start to incorporate little things little flourishes in your writing or different types of shots Uh, for me one thing i liked experimenting with early on was time lapse photography um, that's that, huge now yeah oh yeah it's, it's, it's everywhere now um and i don't do it that much anymore I kind of <laughs> got older, but uh, but i was doing it back in like 06 to 08 and incorporating it a lot into my news stories and yeah using even though i didn't have like a motion control <laughs> device at the time but i would use like keyframes to you know i would put the ken burns effect on video basically and uh you know that's not an uncommon technique but i was the only one that i knew of in our career field that was doing anything like that for a short amount of time and then other people started doing it i i'm not going to say they copied me if they did great i don't care i mean that's awesome but but you know it was just something that i felt for me worked in helping to to tell stories worked as transition shots and things like that and it was just kind of cool to to use that in stories where you wouldn't necessarily see it like i did a story when i was in iraq on uh it was the guy who ran the the dining facility it was just supposed to be like this kind of puff piece interview about you know thanksgiving and how they serve, you know, thousands of soldiers Thanksgiving dinner, which is really cool. But I decided to go the tack of like, you know, not just Thanksgiving, but like every day, the amount of work that goes into feeding an army, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I did a lot of cool like time lapse shots of them, just assembly line style, like setting up pastries and things like like that. And, and it was it turned out really cool. I mean, this was years ago. This is over ten years ago now. But but yeah, now time lapse is everywhere. But that was something that I used in my news stories, and you still don't see it a lot in news. It's, much as you do like, you know, commercials and production work. Have you seen any of your students um, kind of develop their voice as you're working with them? And you kind of are like, wow, that's pretty cool. I've only had a few classes so far. So I haven't, I don't have a a large sample size, but I mean, just this last class, we had a female Marine who no prior video experience, but she she had the hunger man. She was like, teach me everything, you know. And I was like, yes, like, please, I want you to be enthusiastic about this. So I just started showing her like everything I knew like that, that she could use in her stories. And she really was able to, to go from, you know, nothing to, she was the honored, distinguished honor graduate of the class and all that stuff. Beyond that, like, I don't know about necessarily her voice, but she like the, the techniques that she developed in such a short amount of time, because she had that desire and that drive blew me away. I mean, it was just fantastic. Cause she wasn't even like that strong of a student when we first started like she struggled with understanding what sequencing was and, and what a jump cut was and things like that um, she didn't get it right away because 
she was willing to, you know, kind of humble herself and just be like, look, I, I don't get this. Can you spend some extra time with me and teach me this? And she wanted to get it. And that was, that'll endear me to anybody, mm-hmm. you know, as long as they're making the effort and are interested in, in getting better, I will bend over backwards and do anything I can to get you there. And that's why I really enjoy this teaching gig because it gives me the opportunity on a daily and weekly basis to, to help people along. And you don't always get that in, in everyday job because, you know, most people, you know, assume they wouldn't be working there if they didn't know what they were doing. And so, yeah, I just really enjoy teaching. And this gives me the prime opportunity to do that. I think that's a prime trait of a leader. This, the person who says, you know, if you give me your passion, if you give me your attention, and if you are really giving your all, I'm going to bend over backwards to make sure you succeed. That's really the best you can give them. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's it's a good trade-off. And then there's a flip side of, uh, you know, I actually had a, a first class that I worked for on my ship. And she basically said, if you are working for me and giving your all, I've got your back 100%. I'll stand up to the captain if I have to, if you're you know, giving your all and, and it gets you in trouble somehow. But at the same time, if you don't give me that and you burn me... <laughs> <laughs> I will not back you up, you know, and so it just very clearly puts it in place. I don't know if the um, the negative side of that, the the stick is really quite as good as the carrot, but uh, it stuck with me as something. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to I'm going to work for you and give you my all so that I have that support. Exactly. Yeah. You don't want to find out if she's bluffing or not. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, I've, I've never used that tactic, really. I try to maybe I'm a softie, you know, I, I've never been burned. So thankfully, you know, I've had, I've had troops do somewhat dumb things and I don't think that's a reflection necessarily on me or, or them. I mean, everybody makes mistakes and, you know, as long as you can recover from it, you're not a criminal, you know, you didn't willfully break the law, then, then we can build on this, you know, we can, we can get past that. But yeah, it's about developing trust. A leader should be about his people first and foremost. And that's why I think people consider me a good leader, if you will. I mean, I, I, I don't think that highly of myself, but other people, I guess, do. Um, Leaders also because, humble, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't have like naked ambition to become, you know, the the highest ranking person in the office or anything like that. I just I'm comfortable with taking what comes to me, and I figure that if I take care of my people, then those promotions will take care of themselves. You know, mm-hmm. if they don't, I'm fine with that because at the end of the day, my job is to to take care of people. If I'm a leader. You know, it's about the people I'm leading. It's not about me just being in the front and hoping that they're following. It's not about me at this point anymore. I've done lots of cool things and I still really enjoy the job and I hope to get back out there and do it. But now my accomplishments come from showing other people the way. Hmm. And that's what I consider, you know, the reward for having been doing this for 15 years now in the military is that I get to share all this cool experience and all these things I've done with other people so they can go out and be 10 times better than I ever was. And that would be the ultimate reward for me. Nice. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Every little bit helps. Our website is hpleadershippodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hpleadershippodcast. Follow us on Twitter at hpl underscore podcast. And shoot us an email at podcast at 360solutions.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.